Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this afternoon in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let me take a moment before I turn your attention to God's Word to publicly express what a joy it is to be again here at the Shepherds Conference by the invitation of Dr. John MacArthur. Some of you may already know portions of my biography. God used this pastor and this church at a critical time in my life and ministry as a very young man. And on Sunday nights, I would sit way in the back there listening to Dr. MacArthur preach, learning biblical truth, learning expository preaching, and would never have imagined that in the providence of God, I would much less get to meet him and yet call him friend. And I'm grateful for all of his kindnesses, including this opportunity to open God's Word with you this afternoon. My assignment is to discuss what it means to be faithful in prayer. Let me begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll consider God's Word together. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do thank you and praise you for, for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. We thank you for the privilege to sing praise to your high name and for the opportunity to sit under the teaching of your word, and we pray that you would now open our eyes that we may behold the wonderful things you have stored up for us about the Lord Jesus in your word. Help us to lay aside and strip off all malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and slander so that as newborn infants we may crave the pure spiritual milk of your word and grow thereby having tasted of your goodness. I pray, Father, that you would help me to speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, authority, passion, wisdom, humility, and freedom. And may Christ alone be exalted as the word is explained, we pray. Amen. Considering the matter of prayer, I would turn your attention to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ Recorded in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and I want to read to you verses 35 through 39 of Mark chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Amen. It had been a long day for Jesus. It should have been a day of rest. After all, it was the Sabbath. There would be no rest for Jesus. The day began in the synagogue at Capernaum. Jesus was the guest rabbi for the day. The congregation was astonished as Jesus spoke as one with authority, not as the scribes. But the service was interrupted by a man with un, 
with an unclean spirit who cried out with demonic shrieks. Mark chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, 25 and 26 says, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Verse 26, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. The congregation was all the more astonished at the authority of Jesus over demonic spirits. After this service, Jesus immediately went to the house of Simon and Andrew along with James and John. There, family and friends informed Jesus about the condition of Simon's mother-in-law who lay sick with a severe fever. Mark tells us in verse 31, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. Throughout the afternoon, apparently news traveled quickly about the exorcism in the synagogue and the healing at Simon's house. And when the Sabbath was officially over that evening, the people of Capernaum brought the sick and demon-possessed to the house. In fact, verse 33 says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Picture the scene. Jesus standing at the door of Simon Peter's house with the whole city assembled around him, and Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons throughout the night. I would like to think that Jesus got some sleep that night. If so, not much. We fully understand if Jesus would have chosen to sleep in the next morning to catch up on much-needed rest, but that is not what happened. Verse 35, the beginning of our text, tells us what happened next. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is the first of three times in Mark's gospel we see Jesus in the act of prayer. But this simple verse here is sufficient to make the point that Jesus was faithful in prayer. In fact, what I want you to see is that his faithfulness in prayer, in verse 35, obviously governed the direction of his ministry in verses 36 through 38. Go up to the chapter at its top, and you'll see in verse 1, Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the dominating thing, I believe, of Mark's gospel. This is what it's all about. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Mark chapter 1 Mark makes this case that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by showing us various scenes of the divine authority of Jesus at work. But this passage here, almost parenthetically, shifts the focus away from the sovereign authority of Jesus to the humble submission of Jesus. Here, we get a glimpse, if you will, of the ministry of Jesus behind the scenes. And in this passage, we see that Jesus 
is not just a God-man. He was also a godly man, evidenced by his priority and faithfulness and discipline in prayer. His private devotions governed his public ministry. One big idea that we take from this passage is that Jesus would not allow anything or anyone to compromise his spiritual priorities. What are the priorities of pastoral ministry? I think the words of the apostles, the example of the apostles in Acts 6 verse 4 succinctly summarize what pastoral ministry is all about, where the apostles saying we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That suggests that prayer is primarily private. The ministry of the Word is primarily public. But we must not allow the private time of prayer to be neglected in the name of the work of public ministry. Here, we see the example of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who with all of the pressures of His ministry made it a priority to commune with God the Father in prayer. In fact, you see here the priorities of Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus prayed. Verse 36 through 39, Jesus preached. Consider those two priorities with me. First, Jesus prayed. Verse 35 again reads, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This little verse teaches a lot of important lessons about prayer, but maybe the most important lesson is the most obvious lesson, right? If Jesus prayed, how much more is it necessary for you and I to pray? J.C. Ryle said it well that a praying master like Jesus will have no prayerless servants. If Jesus the Son of God found it necessary to spend time with God the Father in prayer. How much more do you and I desperately need to make prayer a priority for our lives and our ministries? Three questions. Because if you're to learn what this text says about prayer, you need to focus on what this text shows us about Jesus. Three, three questions. When did Jesus pray where did Jesus pray? What did Jesus pray? First, when did Jesus pray? Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. The verse begins with a conjunction that ties this early morning watch to the events of the previous day. And then Mark gives us two time references. It is very early in the morning the last watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And then to say it was still dark indicates that it was closer to 3 a.m. than it was to 6 a.m. It was early 
in the morning. And yet, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we see that Jesus stayed up in prayer all night long before he chose the 12 apostles. Here, Mark tells us that Jesus rose early in the morning before sunrise and slipped away in private to spend time with God the Father in prayer. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 says, morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who arose early in the morning to check in with God the Father in prayer. It's this an evidence of the priority he made of prayer, not just a reference to time, but it's a reference to the priority that he made for prayer in his life and ministry. And the very practical example is not bad for us to consider either. Jesus started his day with prayer. You should start your day with prayer if you want God to be obviously present, actively in charge, and dynamically at work throughout the remainder of the day. One commentator notes here that prayer must be a matter of discipline and sacrifice, not a matter of convenience. Jesus got up early in the morning slipped away to spend time with God in prayer. The term here for prayer is a general term for prayer. He spent time in communion with God. He spent time with God. He talked to God. And both the grammar and the context indicates that Jesus spent an extended time with God in prayer. He slipped away to pray, and later the disciples discover he is not there, and they go looking for him and find him in prayer. That is, Jesus did not merely offer text message prayers. Text messages are convenient. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can hit off a little text quickly and conveniently. But some things should not be communicated via text message. Wait, you do know some things should not be communicated <laughs> via text message. <laughs> for, for that matter, some things should not be communicated through phone call or letter or email. Something may get lost in translation. Some, some conversations are so important, they require a face-to-face -face conversation. Jesus did not try to survive on text message prayers. If it cost him sleep, he woke up early in the morning to spend extended and quality time with God the Father in prayer. Before I move on, consider one more thing about the timing of when Jesus prays here. He is not praying in response to an apparent crisis or problem or difficulty. Jesus rises early in the morning to pray 
after a successful day of ministry. It is a reminder that we should not wait until trouble arises before we take prayer seriously. Indeed, pray when things are going wrong, but all the more you need to pray when it seems as if things are going well. You desire God to bless your ministry, pray. If it seems as if God is blessing your ministry, pray harder. Where did Jesus pray? Verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus got up early that morning to spend time with God in prayer, and he didn't look merely for a secluded place in Simon's house, for that matter. He didn't look for a secluded place in the city of Capernaum. He departed and went to a desolate place. The language here is the language used in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, to speak of the wilderness where Jesus had prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus went to some desolate, secluded place to be alone with God in prayer. The New Testament emphasizes the importance of corporate prayer. We should pray both with one another and for one another, but our times together in prayer need to be balanced out by times alone in prayer. I think that's a part of the heart of what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, where he warns about making prayer a platform for self-glory. need to pray alone and pray privately with God. This is what we find here. Jesus got alone in prayer, away from the distractions of both his disciples and the crowd. Jesus got alone in prayer so that he may kneel and sing and petition and cry and lament and praise uninterrupted. Jesus got alone in a deserted, desolate place to show us and by his example, that our devotion to God should not be a platform for performance in front of others. And how much more do we who are pastors and shepherds and heralds need to make sure that we, we get alone with God for spiritual renewal and refreshment and replenishment. Charles Spurgeon said it well here. Secret prayer is the secret to prayer, the soul of prayer, the seal of prayer, and the strength of prayer. 
When did Jesus pray? Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Where did Jesus pray? He went to a desolate place so that he could be alone with God in prayer. What did Jesus pray? Mark is very clear that Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark to pray. Jesus, Mark is clear, got alone away from both his disciples and the crowd in order to spend time with God in prayer. He tells us when Jesus prayed, where Jesus prayed, but he doesn't tell us what Jesus prayed. I think there is a lesson in the silence. What did Jesus pray? Apparently, none of our business. It's another reminder that private devotions with God should not become public domain for man. But I believe there is a hint here. As I mentioned, this is one of three places in Mark's gospel where we see Jesus in the act of prayer. Here, as his popularity is arising in Capernaum, in Mark 6, verse 46, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish, and then in Mark 14, verses 32 through 42, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is betrayed by Judas. But what do these three references have in common? Well, one primary thing they have in common is that in each of these instances, Jesus no doubt feels the weight of external pressure around him. And I believe he, in each of these instances, prays to God so that he might know God's will and do God's will and stay in God's will in spite of the pressure around him. Oh, brothers, our prayers in order to be faithful, need to be more than a laundry list of personal requests. Give me this and do that and fix the other. I believe Jesus teaches us to pray so that we might be clear about God's will and that we might be submissive to God's will and that we might obey His will no matter what the pressures may be in our lives and in our ministries. Romans 8 Verses 26 and 27 read, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When did Jesus pray? Early in the morning. Where did Jesus pray? In a desolate place. What did Jesus pray? We are not told. But the sense of the passage indicates that Jesus is praying to ensure that he is in God's will in spite of maybe personal desire, external pressure, or worldly influences. I'll move on, but one more question. 
that these three questions beg that I ask you. Do you pray? I know this is a pastor's conference, but the question is still appropriate. Do you pray? I'm not talking about a quick thank you when you wake up in the morning. Go to bed at night. I'm not talking about merely blessing your food before you eat. I'm not talking about asking for help before some ministry assignment. Jesus is our access to prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since we have so great a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin. So let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Because the blood and righteousness of Christ opens for us a new and living way to God. We have the privilege of prayer. Prayer should not be viewed, brothers, as some burdensome duty to obey. It should be viewed as a wonderful privilege to enjoy. Because Jesus, our great high priest, has provided access to the throne of grace. You and I don't have to pray like some desperate beggar going to a wealthy stranger asking for a big favor. We can go as confident children before a loving father. Jesus is our access to prayer, but Jesus as well is our example of prayer. Jesus prayed here sincerely. Jesus prayed persistently. Jesus prayed reverently. Jesus is our example in prayer. And if, if this would be the example we should follow from the Lord Jesus Christ himself about what it means to be faithful in prayer, let me ask again, do you pray? When is the last time, brother, you have sacrificed something important to you for the sake of prayer? When is the last time you have retreated from others to get alone with God in prayer? When is the last time you spent a long time in prayer? When is the last time your time of prayer became a meaningful time of worship? When is the last time you've prayed? Not, not giving God your grocery list of requests, fix this, change that, stop that, but, but praying just to make sure you are doing His will and staying in His will and obeying His will. I may be talking to someone you have prayed and the answer you received causes you to think that God did not take your prayer seriously. 
May I suggest that it may be that you prayed and the answer you received indicates that God didn't think you took your prayer seriously. Your prayers will not mean anything to God until they mean everything to you. Prayer is not just some option we check off a list while we try to handle life in our own strength. Prayer requires childlike trust in God. God will not be one of many options. He must be our everything. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry. Not some things or certain things or specific things or special things or even spiritual things, but everything to God in prayer. Verse 35, Jesus prayed. And as a result, the rest of the paragraph tells us that not only did Jesus pray, but secondly, Jesus preached. Verse 35 records the scheduled meeting Jesus had with God the Father in prayer in spite of the busyness of the previous day or the early hour of the current day. In the real sense, the rest of the text records an unscheduled meeting Jesus had with his disciples who interrupted his time with the Father in prayer. When the sun came up, the citizens of Capernaum reassembled outside of Simon's house to see him, you know, do it again. But when they arrived, Jesus was not there. They're even more shocked to discover that his boys don't even know where he is. <laughs> there seems to be a sense of panic. They have lost Jesus. <laughs> Simon, who will be later in chapter 3, verse 16, called Peter and James and John and Andrew and maybe others, organized a search party to find missing Jesus. And the grammar and language of the text indicates that it took them a while to find Jesus. They, says the text, in verse 36, search for him. This, that verb there is, is often used to suggest searching and hunting with hostile intentions. They are hunting Jesus down. When they find him, they, they say, Lord, everyone is looking for you. The whole, the whole city of Capernaum is at the house waiting for another service to start. Jesus says, verse 38, let us go to the next 
towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus got up early in the morning to pray. And after checking in with God the Father, when the boys found him, he says, I am not going back to Capernaum to work miracles. I'm going into the village towns of Galilee to preach. And I believe because he was faithful in prayer, he was not wavered by pressures to compromise the priority of the preaching of God's Word. Here we are reminded that Jesus, the Son of God, Mark 1, verse 1, was a preacher. And one writer said it well, the faithful preacher of the gospel is handling the very weapon that the Son of God himself was unashamed to employ. Jesus preached in spite of and because of. First, Jesus preached in spite of. Verse 36, 37, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Again, when, when, when the city of Capernaum woke up, they reassembled at Simon's house to see him. See, that is Jesus do his wonders again. He is missing. His disciples don't know where he is. Simon and the boys organized a search party to find Jesus. And, and it, the language indicates this is a real extended search. No doubt because he is, verse 35, in a desolate place. Verse 37 says they, they found him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. <laughs> this is not excitement. This is a subtle rebuke. When they find Jesus, they are not excited that they have found Jesus. They are irritated that they had to find Jesus. <laughs> Indeed, I... I will grant them credit that they may have been concerned about the needs of the people in Capernaum. But more specifically, Simon and the fellows are acting like church growth consultants. <laughs> concerned that, that Jesus is missing a great opportunity. We've shown up in Capernaum. You're presenting yourself as the Messiah, and, and immediately there's this groundswell of response. You, you preach one sermon, and after one service, at the end of the day, this, this is a revival starting. There is an impromptu meeting at Simon's house, and the whole city is there. And, and just to make it clear, Jesus, this is not a fluke. The next morning, the whole town comes out again. 
If, if we could just ride this momentum, Jesus, soon we will need multiple services. We, we, we might need to go multi-site if you could just ride this out. The, the, the whole town is here and you off in the woods somewhere. Praying. While we giggle, also there's a warning here. Be careful when you think you know better than Jesus what he should be doing. Jesus replies by saying, I hear you. Verse 38, but let's go to the village towns of Galilee so that I may preach there also because that's why I came out. It is not, Jesus refused to go back to Capernaum to perform miracles. He determined after prayer to go to the village towns of Galilee to preach. And it wasn't that he wasn't concerned about the legitimate needs in the city of Capernaum. But Jesus was not impressed by what I want to call enthusiastic unbelief. I think as pastors, sometimes we get too impressed with enthusiastic unbelief. All around our culture, there are people who like Jesus but won't trust Jesus. And Jesus refused to, to commit himself to people who merely want something from him and refuse to trust and obey him. And so he says, let me go to the village towns and preach. The parallel of this is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. And verse 42 of Luke 4 says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him. And the people, says Luke, would have kept him from leaving them. Mark tells the story from the perspective of the disciples. The disciples go out and find Jesus and try to get Jesus back to the city of Capernaum. It's one thing for there to be a conspiracy against preaching among the world, the people of the world. It's the worst thing when there's a conspiracy against preaching in the church. Jesus will not compromise his priorities. Let's go to the village towns of Galilee so that I may preach there also. May we remember in the words of John Stott that Christianity in its essence is a religion of the preaching of the Word of God. Or as Paul says in Romans 10, verse 13, the wonderful assurance, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in verses 14 and 15, he lists a series of dilemmas, Romans 10, that prevent lost people from calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. First, how can you call upon him of whom you have not believed? And how can you believe in him of whom you have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching to them? 
How shall they preach unless they be sent? When the church tries to meet needs, help people, or change society without prioritizing the preaching of the Word of God, we only prostitute our mission for the sake of the world. One commentator said it well, that an unpreaching preacher is of little use to the church of Christ. He is a lampless lighthouse, a silent trumpeter, a sleeping watchman, and a painted fire. We must preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season, reproving and rebuking and exhorting with complete patience and teaching. Jesus preached in spite of, and Jesus preached because of. The disciples tried to get Jesus back to Capernaum to continue His healing ministry there. Jesus says, Verse 38, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Notice still in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus says, this is why I came out, to proclaim the gospel of God, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand and you must repent and believe the good news. This is why I came out. He says in the end of verse 38, and that's somewhat ambiguous, but of course, Jesus is not merely here saying, this is why I came out of Capernaum to the desolate place. And he's not saying, this is why I came out of the obscurity of Nazareth to the fame of Capernaum. This is a statement about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I came from heaven down. Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so verse 39 just summarizes. Verse 39 just tells us that Jesus did what he said he was going to do in verse 38. He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is a really a transitional statement to tell us, Mark is showing us here why Jesus left Capernaum and how Jesus will end up in Galilee there ministering. But in this transitional statement, there's an interesting point that catches my attention. Jesus was welcomed in Capernaum. Jesus was embraced in Capernaum. Jesus was celebrated in Capernaum. And the pressure was for Jesus to stay there where his ministry was embraced. But Jesus prays in his submission to the will of God. He does not return to Capernaum, but he goes to the village towns of Galilee to preach where there would be no guarantee where he would be 
or how he would be accepted or embraced. That verse caught my attention. Listen to these next two sentences clearly. Brothers, the safest place in the world is in the will of God. But the safe place may not be God's will. And sometimes for God to use us, we got we to gotta get out of our comfort zone. Just because it's the place where we are welcomed and feel embraced. I guess that pops out at me because 10 years ago, the Lord drugged me kicking and screaming. From the place of ministry, that, that was a place of security. My heart breaks when I think about how rebellious my heart was in that process. But I just thank God that God knows better than we do where He wants us to be. And it's our job just to sign up for service and to go wherever He calls us to go. Jesus left the comfort of Capernaum to go into Galilee. And the Bible says there He was preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Wait, what? Wait, Mark, this whole paragraph, you are trying to tell us that Jesus left Capernaum and went into the cities of Galilee because he wanted to focus on preaching the Word, not performing miracles. Why do you end verse 35 by telling us as he preached, he was performing miracles? Mark is trying to show us that Jesus priority of his ministry was preaching, but at the same time, he wants to show us that Jesus was more than just another preacher. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And note the kind of miracle going on here, not, not healing, but exorcism. Not ministering to physical problems ministering to spiritual problems. Jesus indeed has the authority to fix broken bodies, but also Jesus has the authority, moreover, to transform broken souls. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore, from now on, we do not view anyone according to the flesh, even though we used to view Christ according to the flesh, now we view him thus no longer. For if anyone be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. How does that happen? Paul says all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal 
through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Glory to his name for it. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for its truth, its wisdom, and its authority. Thank you for the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who by his atoning death and his victorious resurrection grants us new life and new standing before you and a new access to your throne of grace. Thank you for the example of your dear son who made a priority of prayer. Would you please, Lord, forgive us for our prayerlessness? Teach us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving to make our requests known to you so that your peace which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Teach us to be steadfast in our devotion to prayer, being vigilant and watchful in it with all thanksgiving. May our faithfulness in prayer guide and guard and govern our public ministries so that we might keep the main thing, the main thing, as we proclaim your word and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We pray this for your glory. Amen.